Farmers Insurance knows the difference between a car hitting your bumper and a clown car hitting your bumper. Oh, 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 oh. Sorry about that. Because we covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. For the best in pro wrestling coverage and commentary, look no further than Voices of Wrestling. Hi everybody, Rob McCarran here, and at Voices of Wrestling, we specialize in coverage of wrestling in the U.S. and abroad. New Japan Pro Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Noah, Dragon Gate, Revolution Pro Wrestling, Evolve, Ring of Honor, and yes, WWE and NXT. We have it all. Reviews of every major show. Podcasts that cover it all, including the flagship Voices of Wrestling podcast hosted by Rich Kreich and Joe Lanza. You won't get opinion this diverse from anyone else. Subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Watch our live shows on YouTube. And check out our daily reviews. All of this and more at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Do I have everybody's attention now? I'm so jacked up just thinking about this match and I'm standing and pacing in my dead. So in go Bernalis. In Bernabales. In go Nerablis. You're missing a B there, but that's There's a B? This is what I'm talking about. These letters don't go together. Oh, you're having a wank, are you? And it's like, no! Many, 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 Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. Give me a name. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Listening to the best wrestling podcast in the world, I, of course, am internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist, the king of banter, Joe Lanza, and you are listening to Voices of Wrestling. Got a lot to get to this week. We're going to cover Shinsuke Nakamura's final match in New Japan Pro Wrestling. That will segue very nicely into some WWE talk, including a rumored WrestleMania 32 card. That we were made privy to 
And the official card for the NXT TakeOver event also taking place in Dallas that weekend. Then we're going to talk a little bit about New Japan. They finalized the cards for the two new beginning shows. And also, they finalized the card for the very first Lionsgate show. Which a lot of people are excited about, including yours truly. So I'd like to talk about that a little bit in detail. And we will. Of course, I am Noah Superfan Joe Lanza, so we've got to talk about Pro Wrestling Noah's Great Voyage, which still has not aired, so I have not seen the show. Both myself and Rich will probably watch that show sometime this week, and then we'll break down the card in our usual match-by-match format on next week's show. But I do want to go over some of the key angles and the, and the key things that happened on, on this show for you this week to get you hyped up for that. And then we're going to close things with a little bit of, well, Lucha Underground is back. And congratulations to everybody who won the autograph posters through our various giveaways in conjunction with Lucha Underground this past week and Voices of Wrestling. Those should be arriving shortly. Actually, I have no idea when they'll be arriving because we're not sending them to you. If you want a poster, one of the autographed posters, they're being sent to you by Lucha Underground. We collected the address information. We've got all your, your guys' information. We sent it off to their PR people. They're sending you the posters. So I guess, I, I don't know when you're going to get them. I would assume shortly. If not, you know... Let us know if it's been a ridiculous amount of time, and then we'll uh, forward off your complaints to uh, our contacts over there. But they've always done well by us, so uh, I assume you'll be getting those very soon. So with Lucha Underground kicking off, and as I'm recording this, tonight was episode number two of season two. They've also announced that season three is official. And we'll uh, begin taping later this spring. Very interesting spoilers for Lucha Underground. As they wrap up the end of Season 2. Lots of interesting debuts. Lots of interesting stuff going on at Ultima Lucha 2. And I'm not going to talk about any of it. Because one thing that I've learned over the past few weeks and really over the life of Lucha Underground as people have really taken a liking to the show is wrestling fans are very sensitive to Lucha Underground spoilers. I mean, very sensitive. It's, it's, it's unlike anything I've never seen when it comes to pro wrestling, when it comes to this Lucha Underground. And I do understand where people are coming from in terms of not wanting to be spoiled. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, and I've made this point on uh, on Twitter and on, on our message board in the Lucha Underground thread that, you know, wrestling spoilers of, uh, of, of taping results and things of that nature have been part of insider wrestling culture since insider wrestling culture has ever existed. And I've never seen the level of complaining 
to wrestling spoilers as I have with Lucha Underground. I've been following this stuff for like 30 years, and I've been reading newsletters for, I don't know, um, 20? So, it's just, you know, it's a lot of people view this Lucha Underground as a television show more so than a wrestling show. So, just like they don't want to know spoilers for Walking Dead or Breaking Bad or insert your favorite show here, they don't want to know Lucha Underground spoilers. And they get very sensitive to it. You know, and I, I do get it. At the same time, I fall into the camp that Lucha Underground is a fucking wrestling show. Um, you could have the fanciest backstage segment you want with the with the most expensive production, but at the end of the day, they're just fancy backstage segments. It's no different than what you see on Impact or Raw. It's just it's just better produced. And if you've got two wrestlers in a ring and a bell and a referee and two commentators and championships and guys fighting over titles, I'm sorry, it's a wrestling show. It just is. So to me, what this comes down to is it just happens to be a very compelling wrestling show that people have become emotionally attached to. Which is great, by the way. Because there's a lot of shitty wrestling out there. And there's one company that we're all that we all watch out of habit that no one is emotionally attached to at this point. And of course that being WWE. So it's great to see a promotion out there that people are emotionally attached to and sensitive to the uh, the spoilers. So I do get it, but on the other hand, it's, look, you know, wrestling insiders and reporters have never treated spoilers with the type of kid gloves that people expect them to treat Lucha Underground spoilers with. And I don't necessarily know if that's fair, even though I understand why people don't want to be spoiled. I don't know if it's fair to hold, to hold you know, wrestling journalists to that standard. You know, it's like, well, Dave shouldn't, Dave Meltzer, of course, Dave shouldn't blurt things out on his audio show when they're not even talking about Lucia on the ground. Well, here's what you have to understand. Dave has been reporting wrestling spoilers and just treating them like news for over 30 years. I've never heard anybody say, well, Dave shouldn't have blurted out that TNA spoiler in the middle when he was talking about WWE, which I'm sure he's done at some point. But you're not emotionally attached to TNA. You're emotionally attached to Lucha Underground. And I get why it's frustrating to be spoiled on something. In fact, anyone who listens to this show knows I try to watch all of my wrestling unspoiled. I'm on record as saying I enjoy my wrestling less when I'm spoiled, when I know the results. I enjoy wrestling more. I'm someone who suspends their disbelief, sits in front of the TV, and marks out like an idiot when I watch her. I don't, I don't like to be spoiled. I prefer it unspoiled. But, look, 
that's on me to avoid that stuff. And yeah, it, it probably sucks for you guys who are emotionally attached to Lucha Underground to have Dave just blurting things out on his audio or to see things on Twitter or whatever the case may be. And I do feel for you. I do. But at the same time, I I, I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm against this idea that the rules have to change for one promotion. I just am. But maybe since people are more emotionally attached to this and do view it as something a little different, that maybe, you know, people on Twitter and Dave Meltzer should maybe be a little, try to at least be a little more careful. I mean, they, he still has to do his job and other websites still have to do their job. And, you know, people on Twitter are under no obligation not to tweet things. You don't have to follow them. You can call them an asshole if they, you know, tweet out. But, um, you know, and I think Dave has adjusted. On recent audio, he said, look, I'm going to talk about some Lucha Underground now. And maybe he'll, instead of blurting things out, he'll think about it first before he does that. I don't know. And if that makes people happy, great. But, I mean, this idea that Lucha Underground should be treated differently, why? Because it's a better show? I mean, that's really what this comes down to. Because the fact of the matter is, if Lucha Underground stunk, or if it wasn't as good as it is, nobody would care that Dave blurted out who the master was last year, whatever it was, or told you, you know, where they were going with the fucking flesh-eating monster deal, any of that shit. No one would care. Which brings up an interesting topic of discussion. Um, You know, do the rules change just because the product is better? Because I'm not buying the TV show thing. I'm sorry. I'm. I just. I. I I'm not. It's just their backstage stuff is just fancier. That's what it comes down to. It's. It's this structurally. It's a wrestling show. I mean, it just is. Right down to heel authority figures. I mean, it's a fucking wrestling show. This is a really good one. To a lot of people. Me personally, I love the wrestling on the show. I can do without the rest of the stuff. I've, I'm not, look, but I'm not getting into that. I don't. There's enough people hating me for this diatribe already. I don't need to get into why I don't like. I'm not all in on you know the storylines of that promo. It's just not for me. And it, it, a lot of people seem to love it. And if it's for you, great. I, I, you know, it's 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 too Chikara-ish for me. It's like a non-cartoon version of Chikara. And I checked out on Chikara years ago. I can't get into the fantasy stuff. It's just not for me. I watched the debut last week and Dario Cueto fed... uh, What's the... The monster's Matanza, right? He fed him three people. I mean, he ate more people. I mean, I... I don't know. I don't want to see monsters eating people on my wrestling show. It's just not for me. So I kind of blocked that stuff out, and I just I watched the cool flips. I'm into the flips, man. I like some flips now and then. I'll watch the flippy doos, but I, you know, I'm not getting into Matanza or or you know the, the face liquor or the dragon, the the blood, the blood fucking 
Spitting Dragon. I think he's dead, though. Uh, you know, none of that. Or he flew away or whatever. I, I, like I, look, I don't even know what's going on. Cause I don't even, I, halfway through last season, I stopped paying attention to that stuff. I really lost interest as, as the season wore down. And I've, I've watched the first two episodes here and, it's all right, you know, but it's it's like if you're not into the backstage stuff, the show does lose a lot because that is so well produced and so well done that um, that's that's a big hook for people. And to be honest, the wrestling is so good, it's like it almost numbs you by the end of the hour. That you know, it's geez, a lot going on in the ring there. So, but what I really wanted to get to was. Uh, Lucha Underground being back, meaning the intergender debate is back. And that will be the last topic we touch on on this show. And I'm going to do that last for two reasons. Number one, I think a lot of people are sick of it. So when I'm done, you know, with the New Japan and Noah stuff, you can turn off the show. And uh, the second reason is I'm going to um, relate a very personal story of my own. And I, I just, I rather do it at the end of the show. So we'll do that at the end. I'm not going to, uh, if you're expecting a fiery rant or look, I just, here's, here's what it's going to be. I'll give you a little teaser in case you're on the fence. Cause I know a lot of people are sick of the intergender stuff, uh, rich included, um, myself included, but it really, I, there were things I saw this week on the Twitter machine that really bothered me and I just wanted to address them. Um, the direction I'm going to go with that is. Uh, you know, I find it insulting on a couple different levels and, you know, um, a little irritating that the hardcore pro-intergender crowd who want to see intergender become the norm in professional wrestling, and it's irritating to me and a little offensive, honestly how closed-minded these people are to dissenting opinion on intergender wrestling and how closed-minded to discussion some of these people are um, when talking about this very multi-layered issue. I mean, people try to make it a black-white issue. It's not. I mean, there's sociological and uh, um, you know, just... Uh, and, and, and cultural, there's just so many layers to it. And to simplify it into a black-white thing um, is, is just wrong. It's just wrong. And um, I, I hate how it really bothers me how some people are closed-minded to the other side of the discussion. And these are people who are supposedly the most progressive among us. And the fact that they're not willing to discuss... Um, or hear the other side of, of this particular issue, or, or others, in fact, too, is is ironic to me. When a big part of being progressive in thought is talking things out and learning, and constantly learning and, and seeing other points of view. But when it comes to the hardcore wrestling fan, progressive wrestling fan, um, they're very close-minded on the intergender issue, and it's it's irritating. So that's sort of what I'm going to touch on later on, and I'm going to relate something very personal to me that um, I, I, I really debated long and hard about doing on the air, 
in, in relation to this whole topic. But I, I have to do it at the end because it, it, it well, I, I suppose you guys will find out why once we get into it. I, I might get a little emotional. And it might, you know, it's it's something very personal. And, um, you know, it would kind of put a damper on the rest of the show if I did it first. Plus, a lot of people don't want to hear it, so we're just going to stick stick all that stuff at the end. Plugs. Let's blow through them real quick, because I'm not in the mood to do plugs. Otterbox. You're looking to protect your iPhone or your Galaxy? Get up to 50% off on select iPhone and Galaxy cases, otterbox.com. Voicesofwrestling.com slash otterbox is what you want to enter into your little computer. Voicesofwrestling.com slash otterbox. And you can get up to 50% off on select iPhone and Galaxy cases at otterbox.com. I don't know if it's that's that's a slash or a backward slash. I never know the difference. The usual slash gimmick, whether that's the forward or the backwards, voiceswrestling.com slash otterbox. I don't know anything about these slashes. Can't tell the difference. It's like trying to tell the difference between the Usos. I have no prayer. Slash, backslash, Jimmy J. You know, before the tit job, uh, you know, Bree and, and Nikki couldn't tell the difference. Jay and Mark, before they developed distinct characters, could never tell the difference. Same thing with these slashes and backslashes. I have no idea. I was watching the 1988 Royal Rumble today. The Jumping Bomb Angels. No prayer of telling them apart. Couldn't tell the difference. The Cole Twins from WCW. Good luck. Can't tell the difference. The Harris brothers can't tell the difference. I don't know how you some of you guys do it. I mean, you could tell the difference between these like these identical twins. It's amazing to me. And before you start tweeting at me, I'm well aware the Briscoes are not identical twins. I'm well aware the Usos aren't identical. But just get, come on, are are the Usos identical? Actually, I don't even know. But you get the point I'm making here. So that's uh. VoicesWrestling.com slash or backslash Otterbox 50% off iPhone Galaxy cases right now. Winter sale. Do you like the Amazon? Everybody likes the Amazon. Does anybody have those drones dropping off packages at their door yet? Maybe some of you guys that live in, in more... Uh, I listen. I know they're not sending drones out to me out in the sticks, but maybe if you live in a big city or something, or the drone, or the drone, or the Amazon drones active, I'm still not comfortable with that. I still feel like people are gonna steal shit when they see these drones. You know what I mean? Just follow the drone, see him drop out, and then go take the package off the front door. I, I this whole drone thing confuses me. I don't. It's not quite as confusing as Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I studied it, I read up on it, I asked people, I I am not smart enough to understand the whole Bitcoin thing. It just makes no sense to me. You can't just create a currency. And from what I understand, you can just, you can like print your own Bitcoin. You can just print the shit, like you print money. 
the whole thing is, is well beyond my intelligence level, the whole Bitcoin thing. I just don't get it. Now, I understand the drones. I just don't understand how that's all going to work out. The Bitcoin thing, I just don't get it. And I don't think that it ended up not catching on anyway, really. But uh, Bitcoin is very confusing. Still don't get it. But do you like the Amazon? I don't know how I got off into Bitcoin. Do you like the Amazon? Go to voicewrestling.com. Click on affiliates. Click on Amazon. Then buy whatever it is you're going to buy. And we get a little bit of a kickback. Help us out. Or 2% or whatever it is. So whatever it is you're buying on Amazon. If you're going old school and buying books. If you're buying Swedish porn like that one dude did about a year ago. Our good friend... uh, we got some good friends who, uh, who 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 make regular purchases on there. They buy cookies, whatever it is, even if it's a small purchase like that. Shawnee Sloan out there used to buy his cookies off the Amazon link. Good man, that Shawnee Sloan. Mikey Falcone, big proponent of the link, big proponent. The Falcon, so use the Amazon link purchase all your wares get us a little bit of a kickback going while you're on Amazon pick up the Kindle version of our 2015 New Japan year in review five dollars you download it right off the Amazon now how does that work I think that's beyond my intelligence level as well if it's our book and we're getting the money and you buy it off of our link do we also get a kickback off of our own money? My mind is blown. I would, I, you can't even, I, I can't understand that one. Let, let's work through this. So you use our link, you buy our book, we get the money anyway. But then, do we? Does it double up? How does that work? Do we get like a two percent and our money? How on earth does that work? Somebody do that. I want somebody to. Who's listening? Go buy the book. It's $5. Go buy the book. And I want to see how that works. I'm just not smart enough to figure that one out. On the website right now, all the reviews from this week. NXT. Impact from Garrett Kidney. Alex Wedland's back with the NXT report. Total Divas. Maya Nolan Part now. The best Total Divas reviewer in the business. There's no question. Total Divas is back, and so is Maya. Even if you don't watch... I don't even watch Total Divas, but I read her reports, and they're entertaining as hell. Main event with Minigun is on the site right now. we got the Smoking Guns over there in Ireland. Of course, Rugun. And Minigun, her brother, doing the main event reports. Got a new one on the site. Check out all our podcasts. I'll tell you, I have to thank all of you guys. The podcast last week, our podcast network, I'm pretty sure that was, I'm not going to throw the number out, of course. We have to keep that stuff private. But um, record number of podcast downloads last week. And I think a lot of that had to do with uh, Royal Rumble, of course. But all of the podcasts, even the non-WWE podcasts, did extremely well last week. So record number of downloads. I thank everybody listening. 
Lucha of the Hidden Temple is back with Chris Novembrino, and he crushed, crushed his previous numbers with his debut this year. Just a tremendous amount of downloads. And I know a lot of you listening to this listen to that. The Open the Voice Gate, our Dragon Gate podcast, is absolutely killing it. It's killing it. I can't believe how many downloads that show is doing. I can tell you this. Only because I'm privy to the numbers that Dragon Gate was doing on Ustream. Remember when Dragon Gate was on Ustream? I had some numbers thrown to me. Our little Dragon Gate podcast is doing more downloads than Dragon Gate pay-per-views were doing buys on Ustream. It's amazing to me. I got to tell you, I knew that it was going to be a quality show because there's there's three really smart Dragon Gate fans doing that show for us. Of course, Case Case Low, the young boy, and our, our, our uh, John Carroll, one of our Dragon Gate writers, um, among them, and um, you know, so I knew it'd be a quality show. I just thought the Dragon Gate fan base was so was so niche or niche. Some people say niche. I say niche. I'm probably wrong because I can't pronounce anything. Let's be honest. I'm just uncomfortable saying niche. So, you know, I thought it would be an excellent show that just, you know, there, there wasn't a big enough English language bait. But, man, it killed it right out of the gate and it's doing tremendous numbers. Brit Wrestling Roundtable continues to grow. Did great numbers last week as did the New Japan Pearlcast, and of course, Shake Them Ropes and the Voice of Wrestling flagship. Thank everybody who listened to all those shows. I'm wondering, is there anybody who listens to all of them? Tweet at us, send us an email. I'd like to know if there's anyone out there who listens to all six or seven, whatever it is, of our shows. I'd be interested. I'm curious about that. Because we offer, they're all different. Every show is different. That's what you get on our podcast network. We try to make sure everything's different. You're not going to get 19 Raw reviews you're not going to get 19, you know, old school wrestling shows. You're not going to get 19, uh, you know, Pearl-centric shows. Every show brings something different to the table, and that's what we've tried to do, and the numbers keep growing, so we thank you guys. Is that it for plugs? I think I got everything. I don't have codes this week for uh, WWE Shop or... Fathead, but uh, you know, tweet at us or email us, and uh, we'll try to get you a code if you're going to do some shopping on those sites. But I don't, I don't have them. I'm unprepared. Terrible host. Let's talk about Shinsuke Nakamura. Now that we're done with the plugs and the backslashes and the slashes, I tell you what, I don't know anything about backslashes and slashes, but I did. You know, I know all about Slash from Guns N' Roses. I can tell you all about him. I can tell you all about some pro wrestling slashes. You got, uh, you know, Slash, a.k.a. Wolfie D, who in some circles is considered a super worker. Believe it or not, Wolfie D. Flash Flanagan was Slash Venom in Puerto Rico. There's another pro wrestling slash. Wolfie D, that's the early days of TNA. The Disciples of Sin, I believe. Slash and Venom. I think Venom was the other dude. I think Slash was Wolfie D. We'll call Venom Backslash. 
So Shinsuke Nakamura, final match, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Cork and Hall, sell out, all that. Decent little match. But as I discussed on Voices of Wrestling Live this week, which you can still view in our archives on our YouTube channel, which, by the way, I forgot about that. I want to talk about that for a second. Um, I appeared on Voice of Wrestling Live at Rob McCarron. He's going to do these just about every week after Raw on Monday nights, live on our YouTube channel. And then they're all archived if you're not able to watch them on Mondays. So he brought me on for the first 10 minutes to talk about some current events. We, we've been talking. That may become a regular thing. I may come on Voice of Wrestling Live first 10 minutes every week, talk about some current events. And then, uh, you know, Rob will finish up the show from there. So keep an eye on that. We'll let you know. Keep an eye on the Twitter feeds and whatnot. So I may do a regular spot on Voices of Wrestling Live. But um, the first three editions are there on our YouTube channel, along with all the Shake Them Ropes episodes and some of our select interviews that we've done over the years. So subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel. And we're only going to grow from there. I've got an idea that I think is going to change the game that I've been kicking around. We may or may not do it. It would require a lot of work, and we're already backed up with a ton of work on this site. But I've got a real game changer of an idea that would work perfect for YouTube. So might do that at some point too. But anyway, Shinsuke Nakamura, who I talked about on Voices of Wrestling Live this week with Rob. Final match. It was a little surreal. It was a little surreal watching him work his final match. I'm not going to repeat a lot of the same points I made on Voices Wrestling Live, but the, 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 the keys were, I thought, Okada's emotion, clearly he was uh, moved by all of this, and you can see how much he looks up to a guy like Nakamura. And some of the post-match stuff, uh, the, the press conference uh, comments by Nakamura. Um, and, and according to... Kadani, money wasn't an issue, and he doesn't think Nakamura was going to stay no matter what. Nakamura was dead set on making the move. So um, I'm sure he wrestled with the decision. He only told him 25 days or whatever it was in advance. And off he goes to WWE. We'll talk about New Japan a little bit later, but I want to segue Nakamura's final match which is available on New Japan World, by the way. I think it's... Uh, yeah, the match itself was nothing special. It was all about the post-match. And there was nothing really on the show that was must-see. Just skip right to that post-match, because that's... that's That was really the must-see thing off of that Cork and Hall show. So he's going to debut in Dallas against Sami Zayn. At NXT TakeOver. And I'll tell you what, I think it's a mistake. If he's going to be in Dallas and you're going to put him in the ring um, you know, at WrestleMania weekend then why not just put him on WrestleMania? Why isn't Nakamura wrestling at WrestleMania? Why are you relegating him to the TakeOver show which was going to sell out anyway? That TakeOver show was going to sell out with or without Shinsuke Nakamura. And there's a lot of reasons to put him on the WrestleMania show. I mean, first of all, I'll give, I'll run them down. Reason number one, he's going to end up on the main roster very soon anyway, based on the amount of money they're paying him. By all accounts, he's going to be on the main roster very quickly. 
because they're paying him a lot of money. Similar to AJ Styles, who didn't spend a second in NXT. Reason number two, they just rolled out the network in Japan. You think they'd want to sell some network subscriptions. Stick that dude on the WrestleMania card, drum up some interest over in Japan. Seems like a no-brainer to me. You might be saying, all right, well, Joe, you know, he's never worked WWE before, and he's got to work, you know, there's there's a comfort level. I agree with all that. But he is Shinsuke Nakamura. This is one of the best wrestlers in the world and one of the most charismatic wrestlers in the world. And he's not a guy who you're plucking from some random indie in Montana. He's been in big matches before. He'll be all right. You can put him out there for wrestling. He'll be fine. Give him a big entrance. You make him look like a superstar. You know he'll nail it from a charisma standpoint. And you might just make yourself a star in one night. You don't need him on the NXT show. You really don't. There's no doubt that building was going to be full. Put him on the WrestleMania card. And, and the funny thing is, they've got the perfect opponent for him at WrestleMania to ensure that he'll be comfortable in that ring. AJ Styles. You do Nakamura versus AJ Styles at WrestleMania. And you let him do a 12-minute version of their Wrestle Kingdom match. And it doesn't matter who wins. That's not important. I mean, Jesus, right in front. I mean, and, you know, you just rolled out this network in Japan a month ago. Sell some fucking subscriptions. I get that the that the takeover shows on the network too. I understand. This is, this is WrestleMania though. Put him on the big show. That that is going to get your headlines in the Japanese sports sections. If you put this guy on on the WrestleMania show, and on top of that, it's a chance to make a star right off the bat. I don't get it. You're going to have him in Dallas. You're going to put him in a ring. Why is it not in, in, at WrestleMania? Where, by the way, they have no prayer selling that show out. And I'm not saying he's going to make the difference between you know, uh, selling 60,000 tickets and selling 120,000 tickets. But maybe he sells a few extra tickets too. Which doesn't hurt. I mean, primarily it's to get some pub going in Japan. Which is one of the primary reasons that they're bringing this guy in. He's the biggest star. He was the biggest star in Japan who had the best chance to translate to an American audience. I, you know, I, if he's in Dallas and I'm running a company, he's, he's working WrestleMania. I, you know, it doesn't have to be in the, the semi main event or anything like that, but I, yeah, I'm getting him on that card. And I think AJ is a perfect opponent. They'd both be comfortable, They've, they just worked a match with each other. They've been torn with each other for the last two or three years, whatever it is, in New Japan. I, you know, I don't know that they're buddies or anything like that, but they're a perfect opponent, too. Guy they just worked with. Makes no sense to me. 
makes no sense to me, but they, you know, they put him on Triple H's vanity show. So, you know. And I get it. And that, you know, that, that doesn't mean that after WrestleMania, you can't send them back to Florida to work a set of tapings and do a house show loop to get acclimated with America and get acclimated with the stuff. You could do one WrestleMania match and then do all of those things that they plan on doing with him in Florida by allowing him to get acclimated. Who says you can't? Give AJ a big win. Maybe, you know, there you go. You have AJ win because you know Nakamura is going to go away for a while anyway and go back to NXT. Then you bring Nakamura back later. There's a million different ways you can do it. I mean, you know, I'm sure you guys can come up with a better idea than I just laid out. I'm sure I could too if I really thought it. It doesn't matter. I really don't think it matters who wins. I would have him on the WrestleMania card instead of the TakeOver card myself. This makes more sense. I mean, you could create a huge star. But the TakeOver show is final. And it looks tremendous. In addition to Nakamura versus Sami Zayn, we've got Finn Balor defending against uh, Samoa Joe, Austin Aries against Baron Corbin, Bailey versus Asuka, Dawson and Wilder against Jordan and Gable for the tag belts, and Apollo Crews versus The Drifter, Elias Sampson. Now let me tell you something. You look at that show, and there are, you know, the the... the the Zayn Nakamura match has match of the year potential. The Balor Joe match has match of the year potential. They've already had great matches against each other. Bailey Asuka has a chance to be uh, a match of the year contender level match. The tag title match has a chance to be very good. Pro- the ceiling is probably not match of the year for that one, but has a chance to be very good. And, you know, both teams will be over in that building in front of those fans. I mean, everyone's going to be over on this show in front of a WrestleMania crowd. And you got Austin Aries, who, you know, it's not going to be a great match against Barrett, but look, it's Austin Aries. Anytime he gets in the ring, it could be a very good match. And there's a great dynamic there with Baron Corbin's anti-indie guy gimmick and, you know, the ultimate indie guy. And Apollo Crews versus uh, the Drifter. I mean, that is going to be a fantastic show. And it has three potential match of the year contenders and four potential great matches. It's crazy. That show is going to blow WrestleMania out of the water in terms of bell to bell. Blow WrestleMania out of the water because... The proposed WrestleMania card that we were sent this week from a source. I don't even know if it's like our little secret anymore. I think this card's floating around anyway, but I'll go over it. Looks like absolute trash. Absolute trash might be strong, but it's nothing I want to see. And since this show caters to a smarky sort of uh, audience, I don't think it's anything that you guys want to see either. Triple H, Roman Reigns, that's no secret. We'll talk about that more in a second. Brock Lesnar versus Bray Wyatt. Again, no secret. Undertaker, Braun Strowman. And then, um, you know, it looks like it's going to be a three-way with Charlotte, Becky Lynch, and Sasha Banks. Which, I'm not thrilled about the idea of a three-way, but out of those four matches, that's really the only one that I have any interest in seeing. 
is the Charlotte Becky Lynch Sasha Banks match. Even more so if they eliminate the three way aspect of it, but I, it's going to be a three way. And it, you know, it would be a shame if Becky Lynch got bumped from that match after all the great work that she's done, and and the fact that the fans are responding to her. Um, so from that perspective, she belongs in the match, and she unfortunately would be the one to get bumped if they were going to bump somebody. So from that perspective. Maybe they should keep it a three-way. Although I think, obviously, any scenario where it's one-on-one is going to be a better uh, better chance for a better match than with a three-way. But those other three matches, I mean, they don't do a thing for me. Triple H, Roman Reigns, I mean, I have, I am so indifferent on Roman Reigns. Look, do I think that they could have a good match? Of course. But I, I, I have no interest in watching Triple H wrestle in the year 2016. And I'm indifferent on Roman Reigns, as you guys well know. People think I hate him. I don't hate him. I'm just indifferent on him. Me ripping him apart for not being over is different than my opinion of him as a wrestler. But, you know, people are going to think what they want. But I'm indifferent on him. I, I think he's okay, I, you know. I don't think he's nearly as good. I mean, there's people who think he's one of the 20, who thought he was one of the 20 best wrestlers in the world last year, which is absolutely mental and couldn't be, it's just crazy talk. That's just insane. Not even close. But I think he's okay. And that, they could have a good match. But it's not a match I'm interested in seeing. I mean, it's not even out of the realm of possibility that they have a great match. But it's not a match, and I hope they do. But it's not a match I'm interested in seeing on paper. And the big talk over the last 24 to 48 hours was Vince McMahon desperately trying to get some uh, outside people to be a part of this match, whether it's Shawn Michaels, The Rock, um, Batista. And I'll tell you their mindset here. They'd like to get The Rock in Roman Reigns' corner because, look, the goal here is to not get Roman Reigns booed out of the building. So let's think this through. How do you accomplish that? If you just put Triple H and Roman Reigns in the ring, they're going to boo Roman Reigns out of the building just like they did at the Royal Rumble where they rooted for Triple H. So you've got to add different dynamics to it. The Rock is the most popular man in the company. So in theory, if you pair him with Reigns, uh, lay out some creative spots. You could either get range cheered or create the illusion that he's being cheered. Of course, that did not work at the Royal Rumble last year. He still got booed, despite being endorsed by The Rock. So then you think, who are the least popular people in the company? Well, fans didn't boo Reigns when Vince McMahon was cornering Sheamus when Reigns won the title in December. So we know that they'll cheer Reigns against Vince. So maybe you put Vince in Hunter's corner. And then the real curveball, which is Bautista, another man who the fans are guaranteed to boo. So it kind of makes sense to put Bautista in Triple H's corner because you know the fans are going to reject Bautista. Or at least you think they will, because they rejected him on his last run. So what you're seeing happening here with all these different ideas 
is an attempt to not get Roman Reigns booed out of the building by 100,000 people. Which again, to beat a very dead horse, a horse that is so dead that its rotting corpse is stinking up the room, to go to these lengths to make sure a guy doesn't get booed means that you pick the wrong guy. Bottom line, he's not the guy. You don't like hearing it? Too bad. It's the truth. He's not the guy. Again, we're jumping through hoops to make sure this guy doesn't get booed. Well, why, you know, but yeah, I, let's not let's not kick that horse around that's been dead for months. Well, let's leave that. Let, let's let that rotting corpse rot. But I mean, that's the thought process here. That's the thought process. So, ironically, the involvement of all of these outside people, whichever ones it ends up happening to be, it's going to hurt the quality of the match. I think if Triple H and Roman Reigns went out there and had a match, there's a very, like I said, there's a very good chance they could have an excellent match. But you throw in referees that are, you know, know, biased referees, people in corners, interference, all kinds of bells and whistles and fucking, you know, parlor tricks to try to get Roman not booed, and what you end up is with a clusterfuck that, you know, no one's going to, you know, it's no one listening to this is going to enjoy. You know, you're a casual fan, maybe, but I, you know, I don't, I don't want to watch that. So it hurts the chance of the match being good. But they have to do it, because otherwise the guy's going to get booed out of the building and look like a complete, company's going to look like complete idiots, you know, with 100,000 people booing their handpicked guy which to me is the most interesting aspect of this match. I'm interested to see how the fans react to them and if they can get the fans behind him for one night. Or more, or, or maybe more appropriately, just at least get the fans not to boo him. Even if they're not like super behind him. You know, at least get the fans. I think that's a challenge. And it's a challenge I want to see how creative they get and if they can, if they can uh, make sure that that happens. He's going to get booed out of the building the next night at Raw. In front of that hardcore, international, smarky WrestleMania crowd. He's going to get booed out of the building next night. Brock Lesnar versus Wyatt. You guys know how I feel about Bray Wyatt. And you know how I feel about Brock Lesnar. I love watching Brock Lesnar. I think he's been tremendous on this entire run. And I think this is a waste of Brock Lesnar. Because I have no use for Bray Wyatt. None. Zero. And I will pat myself on the back. I was the first one on that train. Go, go listen to the tape. Undertaker versus Braun Strowman. Look, from what we were told, Vince had to be talked out of Braun Strowman versus Brock Lesnar. Strowman probably would have won that match. Vince McMahon has a man boner for Braun Strowman. He loves this guy. Strowman is uh, going to get an enormous push. He may win this match against The Undertaker. Vince loves him. You know, it's funny. I was doing my rounds uh, around the different various uh, wrestling forums around the internet, and there was one where they were completely burying Strowman and calling him the worst worker in the company. I don't know if that's fair yet. We know the guy's green. We haven't really seen him work. Let's give him a chance. How about we give him a chance? 
I'm sure he's the shits right now. Where where is the evidence that Braun Strowman stinks though? I mean, when has he when's he had a ten minute singles match? To mind, I haven't seen him have one. I'll admit I don't watch every Raw start to finish. If he's you know, if I'm wrong, let me know. But when when has he had a chance to show that he's terrible? I think they've just protected him very well because they know he's green. So, I mean, is that appealing to you? And then the Diva three-way, I mean, is that card appealing to you? I mean, you look at that in the TakeOver card, it's not even close. It's not even close, which is the better card. But WrestleMania, you know, it, it's never about match quality. It's about the spectacle. You know, and WrestleMania is always enjoyable on some level because it's an enormous four-hour show and it's a, it's an, a, it's a spectacle with the great entrances and the fantastic setting with, you know with the biggest you know, crowd of the year in pro wrestling. And um, it, it, it's not necessarily about the matches, the match quality. It, it, it isn't. But this show is not shaping up to be any kind of in-ring classic, for sure, if, if this is the card that comes through. You know, all that could change, obviously. There's a chance that they can do Undertaker, uh, Kane, and the big show versus... Uh, you know, the three Wyatt family members that aren't facing Lesnar. There's a different possibilities in play. But, um, and again, they could change the Diva match to, to one-on-one. It'd be a shame if Becky Lynch wasn't on the card, though. Really, it really would. And I don't know that they're going to put a second Divas match on the show. But the point is, you know, you know, circling back to Nakamura, you know, I'd have him on the show. I mean, I, you know, the rest of this undercard is going to be you know, do we really need, look, I get it, they like to reward their good soldiers and, and put them on WrestleMania, get them the paydays and all that, but, um, you know, and, and, and your Kevin Owens and your Dean Ambroses, they're all going to be on this show, as well they should, but it's like, you know, do, do we need Dolph Ziggler on the show? You know he's going to be on it. You know, it's like, do we need those guys on the show? Do we? Does Alberto Del Rio have to be on this show? Uh, you know, create a star. Get Nakamura on the show. Put Nakamura and Styles on this show against each other. That's what I'd do. That's what Joe Lanza would do. Show some guts. A lot of rumors of the cruiserweight show. Rearing its head once again for the network. That was in the Observer this week. It was worded a little differently. An under 200 pound showcase of some sort in the works. And I'll tell you who deserves a lot of credit for never giving up on this. Our good pal Trevor the Irish Wrestling fan. Who never gave up on the idea of the Cruiserweight show. He, he continued to float that to us every few months. Don't forget about the Cruiserweight show. And it looks like that could be in the works again, some or some variation of it, to air, of course, on the network. Which, look, you know, they've done a much better job. We used to beat them up very badly on this show for the way that they handled the network, but they're doing a much better job. They're doing, uh, you know, they're, they're going to do another special from Toronto, I believe, coming up, a main roster special, which is great. They should do more of those, and they have done them, you know, from Tokyo MSG. And uh, they have created a lot of original content. 
but they're still lacking and they're a little bit behind on the wrestling con. They, they can do some wrestling shows. And I think this would be a good idea. Uh, the Observer described it as uh, non-contracted talent, which then, you know, if you would impress the company, you uh, you could potentially get signed, which is good too, because then you could use it as sort of a tryout of sorts. This idea goes back, by the way, way before the network. In fact, almost 10 years ago, they were floating the idea of a Cruiserweight show. And it's interesting because one of the names that was rumored at the time was Taiji Ishimori. I'm not making that up. That was like, I, I think like 2006, 2007, uh, when there was an idea floating around for a Cruiserweight show. And they were thinking about signing guys from all around the world. And he was one of the names that that, that was suggested to them, that was in, it was in consideration of being brought in, which is funny. Uh, because, you know, he's obviously been getting a push in Noah lately. So he's been in the news. Because he won their junior title. But, you know, so this Cruiserweight show thing, th- this is an idea that's, you know, been kicked around for a decade. A decade. And it really picked up steam when the network was, was uh, being formed. And then it was kind of forgotten about. And, and you could see it's still kind of laying in the weeds as an idea. Push the Cruiserweights. So we'll have to see on that. Hopefully it happens. That's enough on the WWE. Let's move over to New Japan. We got the full new beginning cards. And there's some interesting things I want to point out. But we'll have time to talk about that. Because those shows are on, I believe, the 11th and the 13th. Of February, the 11th and the 14th, and we will probably have a show next week before the shows take place. So we'll give you a full review when Rich is back. But I wanted to quickly go over them: the Osaka, the the key stuff. We'll ignore the multi-man tags and whatnot. Osaka, of course, has Okada and Goto on top. Tickets are said to not be moving very well for the Goto challenge. And I guess we don't know. We'll need a few more months and a few more shows to be able to evaluate that. If Okada draws against somebody else next month or the month after, invasion attack, whatever, maybe you can lay that blame on Goto. If Okada fails to draw versus other challengers as well, then you can lay the blame on Okada. Or you can just lay the blame on uh, fans losing interest in the company because they've lost so many stars. But we can't evaluate that yet. We got to see how Osaka does at the end. You know, you know, maybe it does end up doing well. Maybe it doesn't. And even if you know, it doesn't do well, you really can't evaluate it yet. It's just you know. There's a lot of things that are going to change this year in New Japan, so we need to wait a few months before we dig in. The semi-main event is actually a six-man tag with Tanahashi, teaming with Great Bash Heel against Gallows, Anderson, and Omega, which obviously set up the two key matches three nights later in Niigata. 
I would suspect that one of the Bullet Club members pins Makabe. Uh, I'm sorry, pins Hanma in that match. To put a little heat in a tag title match. Shibata Ishii, never title. I would expect Shibata to win. If Joe Lanza's booking it, Shibata wins. We had a couple years of Ishii here with that title. You got to create some new stars. And Shibata's a guy who they can flip the switch on, and I believe they can turn into a draw if they go with. So I, I would keep the title on Shibata. Three-way for the junior tag titles. Young Bucks, Red Dragon, Seidel, and Ricochet. Look, I'm tired of these multi-team matches. Everybody knows that. But will it be good? I mean, the four-way at Wrestle Kingdom blew me away how good it was. So, you know, provided they get time, this will be very good too. But I would prefer to see these teams just face each other instead of adding a third and fourth team into the mix all the time. It drives you nuts. Seidel and Ricochet have really gelled as a team. And I'd like to see them against the Young Bucks. Or if you want to do Bucks versus Red Dragon, since Red Dragon still has not been pinned or ever defeated for these titles, they always lose them in multi-mans and they never take the fall. They get Seidel and Ricochet and the opener against another team. And let's just stop doing these three ways. I'm, just, I'm sick of it. Never open weight six-man, the Briscoes and Yano versus Tamatanga, Yujiro, and Bad Luck Fale. Again, they're using these six-man titles the the, the exact way that I laid out that they should. They get defended on pretty much every tour and every show, every key show. Whether it's Cork and Hall, the pay-per-views, and that's great. That's exactly how they should use these things. It gives the mid-card a little juice. Before these titles were introduced, this would have been some random-ass six-man tag that nobody cared about. Now you got a little title match here with a little juice. You have all these, you know, nutcases saying, ah, this was terrible. You're adding another title. Get it lost. This is a good idea. A good little idea. You know, it's the fifth match from the top, and it's, uh, you know, a nice little deal. Instead of the match before that, which is Kushida, Juice Robinson, and Mike Elgin against the Los Ingobernobilis. I mean, it's a nothing match. Juice is going to take the... I mean, that's what you'd have. You'd have two of them in a row. Now you got one with a little juice. Los Ingobernobilis, by the way, as a trio, has yet to lose a match in New Japan. So the question is, do they move them into the never-open-weight six-man, uh, you know, neighborhood as Naito lays in the weeds and waits to get his singles push? It wouldn't be the worst idea. Here's a match which I think is really interesting that no one is talking about. Third match on the show. Tenkoji against Yuji Nagata and Nakanishi. Now, why is this interesting? Because we all know New Japan protects singles matches, right? But they protect tag team matches too. Between regular tag teams. Now, it wouldn't be unusual to see Tenkoji against like Yuji Nagata and a young boy or something like that. You see that all the time. But these are two regular tag teams going against each other on a big show in the middle of the card. That's fishy to me. It makes me think that the winners of that match are going to be the next challengers for the tag for the heavyweight tag belts. And of course, I think it'll be Tenkoji. Nakanishi, um, you know, he takes falls in a lot of uh, six-man tags and whatnot. I, I don't see... 
I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Nagata and Nakanishi won and, and, and they gave them a random shot at the at, at Great Bash Heel. Um, but I think your next, it looks like to me, if I'm reading this correctly, is Tenkoji versus Great Bash Heel is your next IWGP tag team title program. So that I don't think that's a throwaway match. I, I don't. It's two regular tag teams. Two mid-card tag teams, two pushed teams in the middle of the card like that, which is fishy. Normally, it'd be just be a throwaway match with an obvious fall guy. And that's not what they're doing here. So I think there's a meaning behind that match. But I guess we'll see. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the opener is Finley versus Jay White. They are now assuming the Komatsu and um, Tanaka role as they're going to face each other a million times in these openers, which is fine by me because like Komatsu and Tanaka, Finley and White are going to have tremendous opening matches. And Finley, by the way, let a little cat out of the bag on Twitter a couple weeks ago when he mentioned to somebody in passing that he's leaving Japan in May. Now, we don't know what that means. That We don't know if that means he's finishing up with New Japan. We don't know if that means he's going on an excursion. We don't know if that means he's just taking a break and going back home for a month or, or two or whatever. Um, we don't know. But he, he, he the tweet is still up. Go through his feed. You'll find it. He tells he's having a conversation with a few other wrestlers, and he just mentions the fact that He's leaving Japan in May. So something's up with Finley in May. So something's going on there. And then the second match on the card is a throwaway six-man. Taguchi, Tiger Mask, and Liger versus Gato, Yoshihashi, and Sakuraba. So that is the big show in Osaka. Of course, the four title matches are the matches to to really keep your eye on. And um, to me... The match no one's talking about, which is worthy of uh, keeping an eye on, is that Tenkoji versus Nagata and Nakanishi match. I think that's going to have some meaning. So that's Osaka, full card. Nigata, the smaller building. And like I said on Voices of Wrestling Live, Tanahashi turned out to be the X, and I think, I do not think that was the original intent. And I think the thinking behind that is this. You don't need to waste a Tanahashi singles main event on a tight on the small building in Niigata. But I think they're willing to burn a Tanahashi singles main event in this smaller building and to burn the first Tanahashi Omega match for the benefit of pushing Kenny Omega. So you sacrifice the Tanahashi main event for the long-term goal of getting Kenny Omega over as a serious main event player. Because with Kenny Omega pinning Nakamura on January 5th at New Year Dash, destroying AJ Styles and effectively uh, booting him out of the company and writing him out of the company, and then beating Tanahashi on this show and winning the Intercontinental title, that's as strong of a push as you can give a guy in New Japan. He will have gone through Nakamura, Styles, and and Tanahashi like a buzzsaw. How do you get a stronger push than that? You can't. 
That's about as strong as a push as you can get. So I think the idea here was, let's just put Tanahashi in this match. He can put over Omega, and Omega gets the strongest push possible, beating three of our key guys, either literally or symbolically, in a row. So I I think that's the thought process. Because, you know, we were told by two separate sources it was Mike Elgin as X. And if you look at the booking of the tour, that kind of made sense. I mean, there's always chances our sources were wrong. That's always possible. But if you look at the way the tour was booked, Elgin was always opposite Omega, especially in, 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 in in the key cars that led up to the event. So I... I I think maybe they really were up in the air with what they were going to do, and then they eventually settled on Tanahashi, figuring, okay, Omega needs the strongest win possible here. That's not Mike Elgin. It's Tanahashi. So do I think Omega will win? No, but I, 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 I think he should win. I think Tanahashi could win, and I think that would be an enormous mistake an enormous mistake and if Tanahashi wins the match and of course I have to see how it plays out how the match goes and all that and, but but if Tanahashi wins the match you will not I will bury this company six feet under the week uh, the week after in two weeks on this show that'll be a horrible decision and I don't care if the if, if Omega beats Tanahashi at New Japan Cup and then wins New Japan Cup like you know they could always have Omega beat Tanahashi at some point during the New Japan Cup and then win the whole thing and push Omega that way and then maybe even beat Tanahashi at some point for the title. And that's all well and good. He needs to win this match for the strongest push possible. His momentum is now. Now is his Why stop his momentum with a loss and then restart his momentum afterwards when he already has momentum now. Carry it through. See it through. Beat Tanahashi now. And then fuck it. Have him win New Japan Cup 2. Go all the way with the guy. You got to move guys up. And the loss will not hurt Tanahashi at all. Not one bit. You know, I, I, I see a lot of people saying, oh, there's no way Tanahashi's losing two big matches in a row. Why not? He's not going to be hurt by that. It's Hiroshi Tanahashi. He could lose this match. He, he can, it's like I said on Voice of Wrestling Live. Kenny Omega can beat Tanahashi in this match. One winged angel, center of the ring, clean as a sheet. And it will not hurt Tanahashi one bit. He'll still be the biggest star in the con. It's not going to hurt him. But it will help Omega tremendously. And that's the key. That's what you have to do here. You have to help Omega. You have to protect Tanahashi. It's not going to hurt him. Tanahashi could lose four big matches in a row. He can lose this and then lose in the first round of New Japan Cup, and he still wouldn't hurt him. He's reached a point where you really can't... You, you really... I don't know if you can hurt him with the booking at this point. That's how, that, you, he's reached that point. Omega has to win this match. He has to win it. It'd be an enormous mistake if he doesn't win this match. Enormous mistake. 
very foolish if he doesn't win. And I and I I'm not a hundred percent certain that he will. Great Bash Heel defends against Gallows and Anderson, second from the top. We thought that this was the send-off for Gallows and Anderson. It's not. They're working the Ring of Honor uh, shows in Cork and Hall later in the month. So maybe they don't do the angle where they also get booted out of Bullet Club here, and maybe they do it on the Ring of Honor shows. Or maybe they don't do it at all. Maybe they just, I don't know. Skip off into the moonlight and leave. I, I don't know how. To, I don't know. I think it would be weird. Or maybe they finish up as baby faces on the Ring of Honor show. Maybe Bullet Club does turn on them when they lose the match here, and then they work the Ring of Honor shows as faces. That's possible too. And you send off Carl Anderson. You know, you, you let him take his bows and send him off as a baby face. Uh, you know, later in the month. I don't know. And then they'll be off to NXT. Kushida versus Bushi. Man, am I looking forward to this one. Third from the top. Kushida defends against Bushi. Let me tell you something. Kushida, you Kushida fans, look, I, I'm a Kushida fan too, but it's, you know, it's not looking good for Kushida in this run. I mean, you know, Kamatachi's going to come back at some point, and, you know, they basically made a star in one night in Cork and Hall with that Dragon Lee match. You know, he was over as soon as he took off the mask. Then he had a match of the year contender. And the fans just love that guy. And, and and that was a star-making performance. You got Bushi, who's showing all kinds of charisma and is well on his way. I mean, he already blew past evil in the Los Ingobernobolos pecking order. I mean, this guy looks great. He's embraced the gimmick. He's one of these guys where they've finally given him something to do. And you can see he, the, he that he has hit the switch and he is motivated and he's doing great things. So, you know, Kushida all of a sudden is looking like old news in this division, you know? And it's, it's, he's no spring chicken. Here's a guy in his mid-30s, remember, and he's not homegrown. He's not a homegrown guy. And to be fair, neither is Bushi. But, you know, it's a little harder when you're not homegrown sometimes with these Japanese companies. And, you know, there, there's shiny new things. I don't know when, when Kamatachi's coming back, but there's there's shiny new things in the junior division. Because an invasion attack, another shiny new thing is jumping into the fray. And that's Will Ospreay. So poor Kushida has to deal with, a, a, you know, a rejuvenated Bushi a star in the making when Kamatachi comes back. And then Will Ospreay jumping in on the 10th of April. Another guy who left TNA at the altar. TNA, I'll tell you, have, is, is there a more jilted bride than, than TNA? I mean, they get let... I mean, jeez. They think they've got all these guys in the bag. Whether it's AJ Styles or Carl Anderson or Doc Gallows or Will Ospreay. And then they can't, they've got all this money. They're, they're throwing money at people. And they can't sign anybody. They won the bidding war for James Storm. And lost out on everybody else. And they, and they signed Mike Bennett. Who no one else was interested in. 
I mean, let's face it. They got Bennett by default. WWE had no interest. You know, with Maria, with all the enemies, and they've looked at Bennett before. They're just not into him. And they re-signed James Storm because, you know, WWE, first of all, he he completely botched that. And and WWE offered him nothing. I mean, you know, next to nothing. So, you know, they, they got James Storm by default, too. And they lost out on all these other guys when they thought they had them in the bag. They brought Will Ospreay to the shows in, in Europe, expecting to push him, and they found out he had signed with New Japan. I mean, it's unbelievable, TNA. I mean, geez, now you almost feel bad for them because they have working capital. They've got the money now. For the longest time, they had no money, and they were just cutting budget. Now they have money. They have money coming from India and all these other sources. They, you know, they've shed themselves of Kurt Angle's contract and 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 TJ Perkins, and and they've cut some others. Um, you know, and given themselves some financial flexibility. And no one will take their money. They're like an NBA team that positions themselves to be under the cap, and then they can't. None of the free agents want to come play for them. That's what they are right now. So Will Ospreay will find his way into New Japan and Invasion Attack, and they like him a lot. He had a match against Okada at Rev Pro, and he's a guy that, um, you know, they, they wanted to bring in, and, and we thought we'd see him at Super Juniors, but we're going to see him before that, and he signed a contract. Now, we don't know if it's a full-time contract. We don't know if he's going to move into the dojo or just be a part-time. We don't know any of that yet. I suspect he'll be a guy that they just bring in for maybe not every single tour, but, you know, most of the tours. I, I really don't know, but he, he he's going to have his name on a piece of paper for New Japan. And he'll be working there from Invasion Attack moving forward. And I would imagine he's going to get a junior push. So it's like Kushida, finally, his story plays out. He beats Omega once and for all. And he's here on his, you know, presumably what was going to be to cement his run as the junior ace. And there's all these shiny new toys for New Japan to play with. And Kushida just feels like yesterday's news all of a sudden. And it's a shame. It's a shame. But that's wrestling, man. It's competitive. So those are your top three matches in Nigata. And there's really nothing else of consequence on the card. Of course, that's always the case with the split shows. One of the shows gets the shaft. You know, whichever one is in the smaller building. So just very quickly... When this is your match that's fourth from the top, you know it's not the strongest show in the world. Juice Robinson, Shibata, and Goto against Yoshihashi, Ishii, and Okada. So, you know, either the Juice or Yoshi will be taking the pin there. I mean, that's a house show six-man. With the opponents from the night before. The open weight tag champions... The Briscoes and Yano will be taking on Tamatanga, Yujiro, and Bad Luck Fale in the fifth match on the show. 
which well now I lost my page that's not good I don't remember the rest of these random tags so in a bit of awful radio here you gotta give me a chance to reload the page I was working off of alright so here we go so what's interesting here is the uh, the never open weight champions they're facing the same team on both shows one is labeled as a title match the other is not of course they can't do that because then it, they'd be giving away you know I guess presumably they could have called both of them title matches because regardless of who wins in Osaka you could have them defend in Nagata so that's interesting it's the same match but the first one is for the titles and the second one isn't as of yet that could change depending on the result of the first match maybe they do another open weight six man title match in Nagata three nights later which would be great I mean you don't have to treat those particular titles like the other titles where there's like this certain sanctity surrounding them you could just defend them on every show you really can Jay White and Mike Elgin against Evil and Naito Seidel, Ricochet, Kojima, and Tenzan against Dave Finley, Taguchi, Nakanishi, and Nagata. Red Dragon takes on Gato and Sakuraba. How about that team? How about the team of Gato and Sakuraba? So Red Dragon will improve upon their already impressive New Japan record as detailed in our book. They almost never lose because they're going to win that match. And, you know, who knows? They may be champions going into that match. And the opener, Captain New Japan, Tiger Mask, and Jushin Liger. Jushin Thunder Liger. I, you know, it bothers me when people say Jushin Liger. His name is Jushin Thunder Liger. It's not Jushin quotes Thunder Liger. His name is Jushin Thunder Liger. A lot of people don't realize that. The character's name is Jushin Thunder Liger. Thunder is not a nickname. It's part of the name. It's a three-name name. And they take on the Bullet Club team of the Young Bucks and Cody Hall. So a lot of filler on the Nigata show. A lot of filler. Especially if they don't turn that six-man into a never-open-way title match. So those are those two shows. If me and Rich do a show next Wednesday or Thursday, then we'll review them. Uh, I'm sorry, preview them in, in, in a little more detail than I just did. Or maybe we won't. Who knows? Um, I went a little more in-depth than I thought I was going to go, but... Rich deserves to give his thoughts. But what I really want to talk about is this Lionsgate card. Man, am I excited for this. So this will be the first of these Lionsgate shows. I think they're either doing them every other month or every month. I can't quite remember. But this one's going to be on the 25th. The, the, the Honor Rising shows from Cork and Hall are going to be on the 19th and the 20th. They'll be first. And there's no cards for those yet. They're going to have to see how New Beginning plays out. Five days after New Beginning Nagata, the Ring of Honor guys come in, and it's two straight nights in Cork and Hall. And I'll tell you what, from a from a show quality perspective, New Japan has been on fire this year. From Wrestle Kingdom, New Year Dash, right through Fantastical Mania, all of the shows have been excellent. The business has been spotty. 
They sold out just about every show on the New Beginning Tour, other than one house show. Nagata is supposedly selling pretty well. Osaka is supposedly struggling a little. And we all know the Wrestle Kingdom thing that we've beaten to death. So, spotty business. Excellent in-ring. They're really having a, off to an excellent start. So, five days after New Beginning will be the Honor Rising shows. We don't have cards for those yet. We do know some of the names that will be on them. We'll talk about it. we got time to talk about those. And then, five days after the Honor Rising shows, at the uh, Shinjuku Face in Tokyo, the small 500-seater, where a lot of the smaller promotions run, Lionsgate Project 1. And I'll tell you, I, I love the way this card looks. There are so many interesting things going on here. The opener, Takumi Hanjo, making his debut. And he's going to be a heavyweight. They don't debut a lot of heavyweights. Because a lot of times these young Lions debut as juniors and they become uh, heavyweights down the line. After their excursions. This is a big boy. And he's debuting. He was signed when Oka was signed. And, and he's the guy who's the big prospect. Who's coming down the line. Who they expect to be a superstar. Hanjo is another heavyweight. And this is his debut. His first match. Professional match. And it's against Noah's uh, Shohei Taniguchi. He's listed as Shohei Taniguchi for this. Not Maybach. And we'll get that. We'll get to that when we talk about the Noah show. Where he unmasked. Finally. And it looks like the Maybach character is going away. That's a big debut for Hanjo. Gets a guy like Taniguchi. And this show features a lot of Noah talent like we thought it would. A lot of Noah young boys. A lot of all of the New Japan young boys. With the exception of one that I'm going to talk about in a minute. So the Hanjo debut, people are looking forward to that as well they should. Match number two is interesting because it's two brand new New Japan young boys against two of the Noah young boys. We got Kawato Harai and Teruaki Kanemitsu, of course, who debuted the day before Tokyo Dome and have worked a little bit on a new beginning tour. And they're taking on the Noah team of uh, Kiyomiya, and Hitoshi Kumano. I'm uncomfortable calling Kumano a young boy at this point. He's been around for like three years. But, you know, Kiyomiya is, the, of course, the, uh, the the rookie, or now, I guess, second-year guy in Noah. So that's an interesting matchup there. I would expect Kumano to score the pin over one of the New Japan kids, being the senior member of that match. But look, that's going to be a lot of fun. And the, the Noah guys are far more advanced than the New Japan guys in this case. These guys are not even... I mean, this is not a, like a Tama, uh, Tanaka Komatsu situation. Okay, these, these Noah guys are far... This Noah team is far more advanced than this New Japan team. These two New Japan guys look very much like Young Lions. This is what Young Lions look like. You know, we've pounded at home that Komatsu and Tanaka were the anomaly. This is what Young Lions look like, these two guys. The next two matches here are must-see, even if you don't watch the rest of the show, in my opinion. David Finley against Taiji Ishimori. How awesome does that look on paper? I mean, how great does that look on paper? David Finley versus Taiji Ishimori. Looks great. If those guys were given time, if they were main eventing this show and they gave them 20 minutes, they could have a four-star match without question. Finley's excellent. Ishimori is excellent. We'll see how much time they get. No matter how much time they get, it's going to be good. How about this one? Jay White versus Yoshinari Ogawa. Jay White versus Ratface. 
the crafty veteran Ogawa, who could still go. Zack Sabre Jr.'s former tag team partner in Noah. Crafty veteran. I'm curious how much he'll give White. Should be a lot of fun. And then after those two matches, which have the potential to be great, Manabu Nakanishi versus Quiet Storm. What? I mean, that match is so bad on paper that it, it's like, it, that I'm looking forward to it. It's so bad that it, it's gone full circle and I can't wait to see it. That has a chance to be awful. And I don't even think Quiet Storm is as bad as a lot of other people do. And I still think it has a chance to be awful. Tenkoji against Genba Hiryanagi and Captain Noah. Okay. If you're looking for one to skip, that'll probably be it. Although I like all four of those guys, but that's not going to be much of a match. I I think they're going to push Tenkoji here. I really do. Going back to that theme, I I think they're going to be the next title challengers. Now, obviously, they're going to win this match. This is airing on New Japan World, by the way. Then the semi-main event is Juice Robinson versus Katsuhiko Nakajima. Juice Robinson is working a lot of main events and semi-main events this year. Don't believe me? Go look at the shows. It's, it's, It's a fluke. It's an anomaly, but... He's been in a lot of main events and semi-main events. Not on pay-per-views, but the juice is loose, man. And then the main event is Yuji Nagata versus Mitsuhiro Kitamiya. And you've heard me and Rich rant about Mitsuhiro Kitamiya, a uh, Noah heavyweight who kind of got lost in the shuffle when Morishima was forced into retirement because he was aligned with him and he's kind of just floating around. A guy who we wish they would push. I think he's got star potential. So other people must think that as well as he main events the first Lions Gate card against Yuji Nagata. And if you're wondering why a guy like Yuji Nagata is on this card, well, you know, he's his role now in New Japan is really to work with these young Lions and work with the young wrestlers. He's you know, he's taken Oka under his wing, from what I understand, and has a big role in the dojo. So it makes sense that he, you know, he's going to be on these shows and have a presence and work matches with these guys. And Kitamiya, to me, this is a clear indicator that people do see something in him. I mean, it could have been anyone in that main event. And I really could have. They could have done a lot of different things, but that's who they went with. And I, I do think that that says something. But, you know, that looks like a really fun card with a couple skippable matches in the middle there. But otherwise, there's a lot to sink your teeth into there. And if you're like me and enjoy watching the development of young wrestlers, you know, that's a card for you. That's the card for you. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to air on New Japan World, which is good because that sort of indicates that all these Lionsgate cards are going to air on New Japan World. And you might as well because if these are your stars of the future, you want to expose them to your audience. You don't want to hide them. Let people watch it. Let people get emotionally invested in these young guys the same way they did Tanaka and Komatsu. And from the ground floor. So a big Noah presence there, which leads us to the Noah Great Voyage, which will air in a few days' time. The 5th of February is when it airs in Japan. So you can expect that to emerge 
in the West through our good friends, the real hero, and Eric Chomsky, I believe is how you say his last name. The great, great men who allow us to see all this Japanese footage that we otherwise wouldn't be able to see, they should have it up within, I don't know, 48 to 72 hours is usually their turnaround, usually a little quicker. Doesn't matter when, as long as uh, they get it up for us so we can all enjoy it. But we've got a new Global Honored Crown champion, and his name is Takashi Sugera. He defeats Marafuji in what was said to be a decent match. Now, according to the Observer, the finish was botched a little bit. When Lance Archer was out of position to yank the referee out of the ring on a Marafuji pin attempt, and the ref got hung out to dry and looked like a geek holding up his hand and not making the three count as to not ruin the finish. Until Archer finally, seconds late, yanked him out of the ring. So we'll have to see how that comes off on tape. Sounds pretty awful on paper. And obviously ruined the finish. As Sugera goes on to win after some more Suzuki gun interference. He had a long GHC title reign a couple of years ago as a babyface. So we'll see what happens here on the heel run. And again, it's, it's you know, we got to see the footage. To see how badly that finish came off. The other key things on the show is Yoshinobu Kanemura turned on Go Shiozaki and joined Suzuki Gun. I, nobody saw that coming. We all knew Suzuki said he had a surprise up his sleeve. No one predicted that one. And we really should have seen it coming. It seems obvious in hindsight. And that allowed Suzuki to beat Go Shiozaki in that match. And something I alluded to a little earlier, Maybach Taniguchi unmasked at the end of the show, reformed his old tag team with Go Shiozaki, and it appears as though Taniguchi and Shiozaki will pursue the tag team titles and go after Killer Elite Squad. At least that's the direction of the next tour. And it looks like Nakajima is going to get a big singles push. Which you've been listening to this show, you knew that was going to happen. As soon as he signed a full-time contract with Noah, and I saw the way they were booking him, I've been telling you guys that they're going to push Nakajima. It was just a matter of being on, officially on the roster. And it looks like he'll have the first title crack at Sugera. And he'll lose, and he should lose. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know he'll become a mainline heavyweight player now. Killer Elite Squad retained the tag titles. Yone took the pin, not Nakajima. That's a big key because they're going to push Nakajima as a single here. Okay, if that match took place a couple months ago before Nakajima signed, Nakajima would have took that pin, not the veteran Yone. But the dynamic has changed. That's good. They're going to push a younger guy here now. Nakajima's been around forever, and he's still not 30 years old. He debuted when he was 16. 16 when he was a big prodigy coming out of uh, what was Kensuke Office or Diamond Ring or whatever it was called at the time. I think Kensuke Office. 
He's the adopted son of Kensuke Sasaki and uh, Akira uh, Hokuto. So, uh, and then he was their pride. You know, it was him and Kento Miyahara. And Nakajima was, uh, and, 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 and another guy whose name escapes me who ended up retiring. But Nakajima was the prodigy right out of the gate. He was great as a teenager. It took Kento Miyahara a little longer. But um, now he looks like he's on the verge of becoming a superstar. And these guys are still young. They're still under 30. You know, Kensuke Sasaki is a great trainer. I, I think Kitamiya is a Kensuke Sasaki guy as well, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that, but I think he is. Three guys with a ton of potential. If you've never seen the old, you know, burning versus Kensuke office feud. You know, 2009, 2010 in Noah and the Kensuke office promotion. Go back and watch that stuff. It's tremendous, including the big elimination match between Kensuke office versus burning. Kept the Kabashi and Kenta and Atsushi Aoki and then uh, Kensuke Sasaki and Miyahara and, and Nakajima on the other side. Yeah, this is great stuff. And that was the great Nakajima versus Kenta feud over the GHC Junior title as well, which I think they had three of the best. That was one of the best three-match series I've ever seen, especially when you factor in some of the tags and the elimination match. I mean, Kenta and, and Nakajima had unreal chemistry together in those days. And that was a great feud between those two. I guess you would call them factions or units. You know, it was really, you know, a promotion versus uh, Burning, which was part of Noah versus uh, Kensuke Office, which was its own, you know, little promotion at that time. Whose members just happened to work a lot of Noah shows. So, so yeah. So Nakajima will finally get a push in Noah now that he's a full-time member of the roster, even though he's really been working Noah shows since like 2008 or whatever it is, maybe even going back a little further. And then there's the possibility that Taichi, I mean, he offered handshakes. They lost their junior title challenge to Harada and Kotoge, Taichi and um, Taka. And then Taichi offered a handshake to the champs they weren't buying it. They threw him out of the ring, but there might be something cooking there. And our good friend Alan thinks that Taichi might turn or get kicked out of Suzuki Gun. You know, Suzuki Gun is getting a little bloated, so you never know. Again, we haven't seen it. We have to see how it plays out visually. It might have just been a thing, you know, who knows? We have to see how to, the, the, you know, the wrestler's body language look. And, you know, how the, how the announcers react to it. But Taichi offered these guys a post-match handshake, and they tossed them from the ring. So we'll see what happens with that. So there's a lot going on on that show. They ran about three different angles. The GHC title changed hands. All the other champions retained. Really looking forward to the Taiji Ishimori versus Kano match. So we'll watch that this week when it pops up, hopefully. We'll review it for you next week, match by match. And then we'll go over... There's two big shows coming up on the next tour, and me and Rich will break those down for you after we review, after we review this show. So right now I'm going to take a break, and we're going to come back and wrap things up with a little bit of intergender talk and the big beef that I have with some of the intergender supporters. 
So if you're not interested in that, we'll see you next week. If not, I'll be right back. Be sure to head over to VoicesOfWrestling.com this week for an all-new episode of Shake Them Ropes. Each week, Rob McCarron and Jeff Hawkins bring you Shake Them Ropes, talking all things WWE and NXT. Rob and Jeff will talk all the latest news coming out of WWE, the news heading into NXT TakeOver, and get your thoughts on the build-up to WrestleMania 32. If you're into nostalgia, every week Rob and Jeff discuss a new match on the WWE.com list of the top 100 matches to see on WWE Network. We run through the greatest matches in the history of pro wrestling, and you can share your thoughts on Twitter at ShakeThemRopes. In addition to our weekly episodes, after every WWE pay-per-view, we also go live on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling YouTube at VoicesOfWrestling.com YouTube, and you can follow along to a live video stream as Shake Them Ropes goes live after every WWE pay-per-view. So fans, do not miss all new episodes of Shake Them Ropes. VoicesOfWrestling.com. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com. All right, so we're back for part two of this week's Voice of Wrestling podcast. And, you know, I gave you fair warning. I know a lot of people are tired of the intergender uh, debate, discussion, argument. I know a lot of people just um, aren't comfortable you know, hearing, listening to the topic. So I there was a method to my madness. There's a reason that I made this, put this at the end of the show, a separate part of the show, warned you when I was wrapping up the first part of the show. So if you're tired of the intergender stuff, if you're tired of hearing me rant and rave about it, if you're tired of the topic, period, and you're still listening, it's on you. There's nothing I'm going to do after... This is the final segment of the show. You're not missing a thing if you don't want to hear about this. So I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the complaints. I don't want to hear... Because I'm letting you know. This is it. I'm ending the show with this. Um, and I'm going to, it's, look, the reason I'm bringing this up is, like I said in the beginning of the show, with, with Lucha Underground back on the air, and of course Lucha Underground heavily featuring intergender wrestling, even more so than in past, than in the first season, the intergender debates have cropped up once again, and both sides, you know, I shouldn't even say that, there's one side of the debate that feels very strongly about intergender. And they're unbendable on the topic. Whereas everyone else seems to be open to discussing intergender, the pluses, the minuses, why they might not like it. Uh, but, the, but the side that's vehemently pro-intergender, I believe, um, have handled the argument very poorly and very immaturely. And I'm going to explain to you why. There seems to be this idea that if you're anti-intergender or if you simply don't like intergender very much and aren't necessarily against it, which is sort of where I stand, that that automatically means you're anti-female or anti-woman or a misogynist or anti-progression or any of the above. And I think that that's complete and total bullshit. Now, first of all, anyone who's listening to this show, you know where I stand with intergender. But 
The last time we've talked about this topic, we've gained thousands of listeners, so I will reiterate my stance, so I'm clear. And of course, this will probably be ignored by a lot of the people who listen to this, who come after me after you know this show is over. But that's par for the course. I get it. You put yourself out there publicly, and uh, people are going to attack, and that's fine. I, you know, that's you know, you have to accept that. But for the record, I have no problem with intergender. I'm not anti-intergender. I don't think that intergender uh, wrestling shouldn't exist. I'm not a huge fan of it. I I think most of the time it isn't very good. But there have been intergender matches that I've seen that I've liked, that I thought were pretty good. And I think under certain circumstances, intergender works. I think in certain promotions, intergender works. So I'm not anti-intergender. I'm not ban intergender. I'm not intergender shouldn't exist. Which I've I've stated a million times, but people still think that I'm Mr. Anti-Intergender. And I, you know, I don't understand why they think that. I've never said that. But, um, you know, in certain circumstances, I, I think it works just fine. I think in a place like Chikara, which is a living comic book, in that environment, I don't have any problem with intergender. It works. It's it's a goofy, you know, cartoon promotion. There's, there's no problem with it. They have their own set of, um, they have their own context, they have their own set standards and parameters. They've created an environment where the intergender works. I don't have a problem with it there. I don't have a problem with intergender even in Lucha Underground. You know, I thought the one booking misstep they made last year was Sexy Star beating Pentagon Jr., but that was more of a booking misstep and not because I didn't think a woman should have been facing a man. I just thought Pentagon Jr. was their hot character and that was a that sort of stalled the momentum with him but the fact of the matter is that's sort of the perils of taping so far in advance and not you, you, you know feeling the way the promotion set up they didn't have a chance to feel out their audience they're not they're not filming week to week and as you can see they've recognized that Pentagon Jr. is their hot character and anybody who's read the spoilers for this season can see that he's a heavily pushed character now Possibly the hardest push character in the company, which because they now recognize how hot he is and how he's the guy that they needed to run with. If if Lucha Underground had been a week to week live show like Raw, I don't think the sexy star Pentagon Jr. storyline plays out the way it did. Clearly, Pentagon Jr. is the much more marketable star than sexy star is, and I think they recognize that now. So you know that had nothing to do with me being didn't thinking they shouldn't have wrestled each other because no, it was just, I thought it was a poor booking decision. And I think in the fantasy world, the way the context and the environment is in Lucha Underground, I don't have a problem with intergender matches there either. Now it may be stunting their growth, but that is a different issue that we're not going to talk about now. That has nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about. So we're not going to get into that. You know, the intergender may be a poor business decision on their part, but that's, we're talking more, we're not talking business here, That as, as you're going to see as I move along. 
So I'm not anti-intergender. With that said, I'm not in love with it either. And I can live without it. If I never saw another intergender match in my life, I'd be perfectly okay with that. But what I, what I really want to talk about, now that my stance on intergender is out of the way, what I really want to talk about is this idea that if you're anti, if you don't like intergender matches, if you don't like intergender matches, that you have a deep-seated hatred of women, which a lot of people, they, they truly believe that. It's this you're either with us or against us mentality with a lot of the hardcore intergender supporters. And some of the tweets are just are shocking with how strong the verbiage is in, along those lines. Things like, you can't call yourself progressive and you can't call yourself a feminist if you don't support intergender wrestling, which I think is a crock of shit. I think that's absolute shit. And I think there's three valid reasons where someone may dislike intergender, which are more than valid, and say nothing about that person's feelings towards feminism, which by definition, by the way, is just equality for men and women. I mean, if you're not a feminist, by definition, you're a fucking monster. It's just, it's it's the idea that women are equal to men. But the word feminist has this negative connotation now because of the extreme feminists who have ruined the concept for a lot of people with their extreme takes on things. But by definition, you know, 99% of the people listening to this are feminists. Or you're or a very backwards person. How can you not be in favor of, of, of equality? But men wrestling women has very little to do with equality in my view. Let me get into, I have three legitimate reasons why, why people could very reasonably uh, not like intergender wrestling. And I think that they're fair, and I don't think it's a reflection on whether those people, uh, you know, are misogynist. Are, you know, it's ridiculous. Reason number one is, you may just think that intergender matches are shitty from a bell-to-bell quality perspective, and that would be a fair take. Because a lot of intergender matches do suck. A lot of times, men and women, it's just, it's awkward when they're working with each other, whether it's because of a size difference, a speed-strength disparity, or any other number of reasons. It's just just awkward, and it's awkward-looking, and the matches often aren't very good. It is my personal belief that women have better matches against other women. The best matches I saw that involved women last year were all women versus women. There were no intergender. And look, there's multiple match of the year polls, including our own, that bear that out.
And again, I've seen good intergender matches, but I, I don't think it's unfair to say if you're a wrestling fan that you just don't like the general overall quality of what intergender matches produce. And that doesn't make you some kind of misogynist to think that. And it's a very valid reason. Number two. You know, it's real funny how these hardcore, quote-unquote, progressive types, you know, will sit there and scream from the rooftops that wrestling is fantasy, wrestling is fiction. You can create any kind of world you want. And you can present the women just as powerful, if not more powerful, than than the men are. And the people who make that argument are absolutely right. You can do that. And I gave you two examples with Chikara and Lucha Underground. And if that's the kind of wrestling you enjoy, great. Knock yourself out. But you know, there are people who view wrestling and enjoy wrestling as simulated athletic competition. As worked shoots. However you want to phrase it. And for those types of fans, it's not unreasonable for them to find it hard to suspend their disbelief for intergender matches. And that doesn't make them evil misogynists or anti-women or anti-equality. It means they watch wrestling for different reasons than you do. Maybe you like the fantasy aspects of a Chikara or a Lucha Underground. Great. But why can't there be a fan who uh, enjoys a different kind of wrestling which involves simulated competition? Worked fights. In actual athletic competition, in actual fights, whether it's boxing, wrestling, kickboxing, you name it, mixed martial arts, men don't fight women. And there's a very good reason for that. And that I'm not going to waste time explaining. And I mean, if you think I'm off base for that, or you think I'm, uh, then just stop listening now. You're not a rational person. And nothing I say is going to get through to you. And some people like their wrestling to mirror that. That's what wrestling was in, in the beginning. We now have different forms of wrestling that make different people happy, and that's fantastic, and I'm not against that at all. But I think it's, it's, it's pretty fucking arrogant to make the argument that wrestling is fantasy and you can create any kind of world you want. And, uh, you know, intergender should be the norm because we can, we can create this world. Maybe some people don't want to watch that kind of wrestling. And it's arrogant of you to push what you like about wrestling onto everybody else. I'm not telling anybody that Chikara, you know, should be presented like New Japan, where it's simulated competition or 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 uh, guts world. So don't tell me that my wrestling should reflect your sensibilities. Fuck you. That's bullshit. That's a crock of shit. 
my personal take, I prefer my wrestling to be simulated competition. I do find it a bit harder. Not impossible. But a bit harder a lot of the time to suspend my disbelief when I'm watching intergender matches. Whether it be size difference or, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's very arrogant of you to tell me I'm wrong for thinking that, if that's the kind of wrestling that I enjoy. Or to tell me that I'm holding, that, you know, that's me, you know, wanting to hold back women. When, by the way, I'm on record as saying, instead of intergender being this, uh, being the progressive movement, how about we just push the fucking women, period? How about we just push the women so that women's matches... are able to draw money and main event shows and, and in consequence and yeah, I'm all for that so I think it's very reasonable for people to enjoy wrestling as a simulated competition as opposed to a fantasy world where there are no rules where you can create your own rules I don't like my wrestling like that that's why I don't watch Chikara anymore And if Chikara never had an intergender match, I still wouldn't be a fan of Chikara because of that aspect of it. Yeah, it's it's so arrogant for 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 some of these hardcore intergender bat who just they think yeah you know, their sensibility should apply to everybody. That's fucking bullshit. Who do you think you are? And the third reason, and the one I'm going to spend the most time on, and where I'm going to relay a personal experience that, I, that I've had this week to you guys, is it is, perfect, it is perfectly reasonable for someone to not be comfortable with watching a man fight a woman. And, and it is baffling to me that people argue against that. Now look, I don't close my eyes or turn the channel or turn it off when an intergender match comes on. I can watch an intergender match. But I completely understand why there's some people who who can't and who aren't interested in that sort of thing and who feel uncomfortable watching women fight men and watching men strike women. Yet there are people on the other side of the argument who will basically call you a monster for feeling that way. And again, that's so fucking arrogant. Again, you're pushing your sensibilities on other people. I mean, it's crazy to me. When did it become, I would love to know when it became anti-feminist to object to man on, to, to male on female violence? Why, when did that become upside down and inside out? You know, it's, it's like, I don't think it's unreasonable at all if someone doesn't want to watch a man beat on a woman. 
in a worked context or otherwise. And don't play the, 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 the fantasy the, 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 well, you see it in movies and you see it on TV. It's, it's a different dynamic. These are worked fights. There's, there's heavy symbolism here. It's different than, than a movie. I can't buy that argument. As my dog goes insane. But it's different. And it's crazy to me that it's these ultra, far, far left-wing, extreme feminists who will tell you that you're a bad person if you don't want to see men wrestle women because, you know, they play the whole, well, women aren't delicate flowers card. I mean, that's not the point here. It makes some people uncomfortable to watch men fight women. And that's, when did that become unreasonable? That's so confusing to me. I'm going to tell you what my week was like this week. And then I'm going to relate this back to this intergender thing, this this arrogant opposition. To, it's, 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 it's crazy to me. And, you know, people make these three reasonable arguments against intergender. And the hardcore pro-intergender crowd, there's like no room to debate these people. You either get the old, I can't even response, or the old, we're done here. Because these people are children who refuse to even hear the other side of a debate. When these children are disagreed with, they shut down. Oh, I, uh, we're done here. Why? Because I disagree with you? Why can't we have a discourse? Maybe we'll learn from each other. But, it, it, you know, I can't even. I can't even do this. Well, of course you can't. Because you're a petulant child who can't handle being disagreed with. You're not an adult. You're immature if you can't discuss something. I reconnected with an old friend this week. Someone I haven't spoken to in about seven or eight years. It was actually an ex-girlfriend of mine. And we, um, we reconnected through, through tragedy this week. Her father passed away. So I, I caught uh, wind of what happened. And we, we were together for nine years. And at one point, um, you know, I lived with the man. So when I found out he passed away, I, you know, I got a hold of her. I made the phone call to give my condolences and um, offer my support. And we ended up having, you know, a long conversation and, and catching up and it just meant a lot to me to be able to take her mind off of things for a while. And, and we've ended up talking every night this week. 
Um, she doesn't, you know, to to make things worse, her mother, her father passed away from cancer, and her mother is uh, also currently in the hospital fighting cancer, and it's not looking good there. And she doesn't have a ton of other family, and um, I've just sort of been doing my part to um, help her out as much as I can from 2,000 miles away and and talk her to sleep at night and just be a friend. Because I still have love for her. I mean, this it's it's it, she'll probably wind up being the most significant relationship of my life when it's all said and done. And I I she's a great person and um she means a lot to me. Even though we haven't spoken in a long time, it wasn't because um you know there was there was any kind of hatred or or any ugliness. It's just sometimes you break up with someone and you just go your separate ways. And I'm sure anybody listening to this can relate. So it was a shame how we came back together and 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 restarted um you know our our friendship but um you know the world works in mysterious ways. So I'm very happy to have this person back in my life and I'm I'm sure she'll be in my life for the rest of my life which is great. Um but how this all relates to the topic at hand is over the last few nights as we were filling in the gaps on uh, the last seven, eight years of our lives, she told me about um, a relationship she had during that time with a alcoholic piece of shit who, who would beat her and, you know, put his hands on her. And one particular incident where he, um, you know, did things physically to her and, uh, you know, even threatened to beat up her 100-pound dying father um, in one case, which, I mean, you know, hearing these stories and hearing these things, just, you can imagine that it just, you know, obviously it gutted me. It, it made me angry and sick to my stomach and sad and, you know, 